Okay, well, let's uh, let's move on in these things. You know, one of the things that I'm profoundly conscious of uh, is how much the Lord wants to do real heart works in us. And God is brave. And I'm very conscious that multitudes in the churches, their faith is profoundly shallow. Mm. Profoundly. It sounds a contradiction, doesn't it? Because the word profound means deep. <laughs> and then I've said the word shallow. Um I always remember a story of Wesley where I may have mentioned this somewhere before where in his journal he records walking uh, and ministering in Bristol. Sorry if I've said this before, but he was prevailed upon to pray for a young woman for her healing. And um, which he did, he prayed, and the Lord graciously touched her and healed her, um, raised her up. And uh, some years later, he was traveling back through Bristol. He inquired after the young woman, and she was far from the Lord and uh, had no prospect of returning to the Lord. Mm. And Wesley put in his diary, would it not have been better if the Lord had taken her years ago? Mm. And, of course, therein lies the words of a man who recognised the temporal from the spiritual, the temporary, from the permanent, the eternal, from the finite. And it's a very serious thought for us all. Um, you know, we live in a world of so much suffering. I remember being um, in a place um, where where the Lord did quite a lot of healing, mm. where there were a number of miraculous healings, um, which I scarcely knew were taking place until afterwards. And these were people who had no hope. It was, mm. it was just after the Pol Pot thing in the northeast, you know, Cambodia, and there were many people who were refugees who'd come out of Cambodia and across into northeast part of Thailand. And, you know, we really need to get to grips with the Lord concerning our hearts. Um, you know, and for those that are younger among us, you see with... The things of this world and the things that the Lord Jesus said 
and Paul the Apostle. I'll, I'll read um, just something that, that I was reading last week from one of the letters that uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. And, um, you know, he, he mentions, doesn't he, uh, wealth and possessions and all those sorts of things. And he, he makes remarks about godliness with contentment is great gain. This is 1 Timothy 6. Uh, we brought nothing into this world. And it's certain that we can carry nothing out. <coughs> and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, one of the great um, errors being taught in the churches, especially in the United States, but it's a disease in Malaysia and Singapore and Australia in the churches, of course, is the doctrine of prosperity, that God wants you to be wealthy. It is a lie and it is a doctrine of demons. Get that very clear. Those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and worthlessness. Perdition uh, is a word that has to do with that which is worthless. I think of Bill Gates, I think of um, Mark of, of Facebook, and so on and so on. These men... These men, what responsibilities they have. And we might say that Bill Gates gives away millions, but of course it's nothing to him. There is no cost, nothing at all. And it is so essential that we come to grips with hearts, the preciousness of uh, the hearts of our children. I mean, I think of my children. I, I was talking to my son. Uh, of course, yesterday it was his 48th birthday over there in Perth. And uh, Hazel and I, of course, we pray daily when we have our reading and prayer together. And we pray, oh, God, heart work. In Rowan, how's your heart, Rowan? What's God doing in your heart? Mm. And Julie and Emma and Joden and Jasmine in Tasmania, you know, the heart. And a friend of ours passed away a couple of weeks ago, 64 years old. He was in the church. Um, where we were in Perth and his wife. I remember a Sunday morning so clearly where he responded and the Lord delivered him of demons on that particular Sunday morning and he began to walk with God and his wife and so on. And my son was telling me yesterday that he had been to, he and his wife, Julie, went to the funeral. And uh, he said, uh, so I said, how was it? And he said, oh, 
except for a couple of people, there was little hope. A couple of people that spoke, there was little hope. Um, it's such a searching thing to, you know, people who began well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think I may have said before that there are two things that we will never really fully come to understand and get to grips with as deeply as we really should. One of those things is sin. Uh, sin. Uh, you, you know, again, even in this week, I've been writing yet again to a couple whose son, one of the sons, is entering into a totally inappropriate relationship that is now becoming acceptable in society in general and being accepted in many churches. And, you know, to to be a parent, what do you do? Um, What do you do? How do you relate? How do you come to grips? Because Paul, again, in he, he says this, so sin eats like a cancer. Well, actually, the word he uses is uh, canker, which comes from our word for gangrene. And you know that if a gangrenous limb is not cut off, then the whole body will go rotten and die and the Lord you know this is one of the things that we need to ask the Lord show me sin and uh, I need to know and it's one of the things I don't know whether any of you have ever been in a situation where for days on end you laid on your back And you ask the Lord to kill you because you were getting a sight of your sin and you knew that you were worthy of nothing except death. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, the other thing that we'll never plumb the depths of is the love of God, his great love. The great love that restrains sin and the great love that took Jesus to the place where he suffered and bled and died so that we could be free of it. And you and I must always remember that when John Baptist announced Jesus, he said something that had never been said before. When he was speaking, uh, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then he said something that had never been said before. He did not say, Whose blood covers sin? Uh, whose blood was shed so that uh, you could be free of its guilt? 
Uh, I could be free of its guilt. He, he never said anything like that. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes it away. And you have not yet known the power of what Jesus did until he has taken away sin out of your life and mine. And, of course, our Lord Jesus is going to accomplish that in the totality of creation, isn't he? He's going to remove it, all that displeases, all that... Uh, uh, every hint of rebellion and so on. This is Im so important and uh, such is his love for us. Takes away the sin of the world. And um, no lamb could do that. Uh, no prophet could do that. Uh, because, of course, every uh, every prophet was himself. Moses couldn't do that. None of them, because they were themselves sinful. I couldn't do that. Only the sinless one could do that. And, uh, you know, and one of the keys, of course, to the breaking of the power of sin in our lives, of course, is simply that, we are brought to a place where we begin to see it. We really begin to see what sin is and the offence that it brings to the love of God. And, you know, possessions and so on. Uh, every time Jesus speaks about possessions, every time he speaks about wealth, every time in the epistles it's mentioned, of course, there you get this this thing where it makes the heart dull. It is rare that a rich man cannot be made dull spiritually by his wealth. And uh, that doesn't mean to say we welcome poverty, <laughs> but um, Lord, give us what we need. He mm. says that uh, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And uh, among the things that need to be broken in those of us in the Lord, in the Lord's work is, of course, money and its power over us. And that needs to be broken. It needs to be dealt with. And there's many a minister who has been corrupted by, by a lust for money. And he says that uh, those which have gone after money, they have strayed from the faith in their greediness. They've gone, they've departed, strayed from the faith, according uh, by their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So may the Lord help us. I come back to my thought about heart work. And uh, I, I did write to Mike and, and uh, Faith, of course, about Hannah. And 
The Lord gave me a verse, you see, mm -hmm. as I look to God very quickly. And the Lord gave me the verse from Isaiah 43, mm -hmm. where the Lord says, you know, I think you know the verse quite well, but I will, I will read it to you um, because it's worth reading. It's always worth reading scripture, isn't it? <laughs> Fear not, I've redeemed you, but particularly it was verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Mm. Mike's come back on. I will be with you, the Lord yeah. says. I will be. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And it's a very wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, we sang a hymn, Graham, who's on may remember this. Uh, when through deep waters... We are called to go. I can't remember the first line of the hymn. You know, we, we will not be overflowed by them. When through deep waters. You do understand, we do understand, don't we, brothers and sisters, that there are deep waters to come. Globally. Um Nationally, internationally, there are famines to come. There are all kinds of things that are to come. And we must, you know, have hearts. I suppose one of the ways in which we are unafraid of death and unafraid of the judgment that is to come is, of course, that we've been through it already. You understand that you and I, I hope you are free because you know that as to your eternal state, all is settled. You've accepted the sentence of death on yourself. You died. You died with Christ. You accepted the judgment of God upon your wretched self. And so if you died already in Christ and you're alive, you're not afraid of, of the judgment that is to come because you will not be subject to it. Yes, you will and I will be subject to a judgment that is to do with uh, rewards and our works uh, but not to do with our eternal state it's it's past already i died with christ you died with christ the judgment is past which is why increasingly you walk with the lord the bolder you will become and the clearer minded you will become and guilt-free you will be and uh, with assurance you will walk uh, and desire to please him. And 
deep waters, deep, deep waters. And deeply does the Lord want to get hold of our hearts. I have discovered this in my lifetime. That those who have suffered physically, perhaps been troubled in some disease or something like that, who've been weakened, uh, are among the most bitter, hard people you could ever meet. Or they are the most sweet-spirited who have yielded to God in the midst of it all and they know things about God and his ways that you and I have had an easy time through life, <laughs> know nothing about. There are treasures of darkness. There are treasures of darkness, only found in darkness. And there are jewels of understanding that come to us, discoveries of God, rich veins, that only come when we are somewhat emptied. <laughs> you see, always there needs to be an emptying before there's a filling. That's God's way in this fallen world. That's God's way. There must be an emptying, a losing before gaining. A Calvary before Pentecost. It's vital that we grasp these things. And not many people say them, perhaps, but they nevertheless need to be said. And, you know, I've been asked to write a, um, a, a long email back to someone who's wrestling with issues of spirit, soul and body. And they've been trying to read books about it to understand the way that they are made. You know, God is a spirit. He is a spirit. And you are a spirit. And only as our spirit is made alive by the regenerating power can we have fellowship with God who is a spirit, vital, vital. And all of this, of course, leads up to the life of the church because the church is supposed to be a spiritual body. It's to be a spiritual church. It's to be a place, isn't it? Uh, you will know this, where spiritual sacrifices are made. So if you were to turn into the first letter of Peter, where <coughs> Peter mentions this very clearly, um, and he, he says in the second chapter that we are... Uh, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. You know, the the words, you know, that I just read out, that the your special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. You know, that word could be translated the lifting power. The lifting power, not the praises of him or the virtues of him, but the lifting power of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Now that's part of the rich calling of the church to display the lifting power. So, for instance, the lifting power out of the power of sin, the lifting power of the resurrection life, a life of love that naturally loves everybody. And all this modern talk about, well, I I don't like him, but I love him and all this sort of thing is nonsense, in fact. You know, love is, God is love, love is in you. you. You love one another, that's it, if the nature of God is in you. This is part of the lifting power. And, you know, it's not, oh, I'm trying to forgive. Do you know what someone said to me many years ago about a leader in a church? He, he said to me, oh, I doubt if anything will change in him. He has great difficulty in forgiving. And I thought, wow. And doesn't even know God. Has never come face to face with his own self. And he's leading a church. Forgiveness you know, is part of the lifting power of God that lifts you out of, I mean, if you want to, and I've never done this, but I've often thought I might do it to to ram home to my still heart that still needs softening and tenderizing. I, I ought to sit down and spend about nine hours going through Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Godfather 3, the movies, you know, Mario Puzo. Um, You know, I've never done it. Uh, What's it all about? It's all about vendettas. It's all about Sicilian families, you know, the mafia getting back at one another, the unending, continuing of unforgiveness, the unending power of unforgiveness. And isn't it wonderful? (laughs) It's funny, when you're a preacher, you know, you think sometimes of messages that you, you know, stick with you. And I remember a message that stuck with me that that I I gave way, way back 
It was a baptismal day uh, in Rora House. We used to have combined baptisms. And uh, there was quite a lot of people being baptized. And I spoke on this subject of the, the, the constant cycle of sin and unforgiveness and sin and unforgiveness. And I spoke from Noah and, uh, and the ark and that, that old creation, you know, this constant going <laughs> on and on of wickedness and unforgiveness and guilt and sin and self-justification. And then this wonderful thing that God did where Jesus, our ark, came and he called us in to his son and that old cycle was broken. That's what Jesus has done. That's why you and I don't have to be in the image and don't have to repeat the sin of our parents and our grandparents. And we can be free because... You Calvary, Christ crucified, is the ark that the, <laughs> that broke the cycle. This circle going around again and round again. And if ever you want to see that circle manifesting itself in in a worldly book series or movies, they've got it in the Godfather. Unforgiveness, 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 unforgiveness you know, and so on. And, uh, you know, the church is to set forth the lifting power, the lifting power uh, of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And then Peter, earlier on, and you see, well, why are you coming here? Well, I'll show you in a minute. Um, in Earlier up in chapter 2, he says that we've uh, got to lay aside. That's what he says in verse 1. All malice, all deceit. Put it <coughs> off. Go on. Hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, and but why, why, why should we do that? Well, verse 23 of chapter 1, because you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God that lives and abides forever. And then he says this, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Tremendous, the, the contrasts, you see. And the church is to be showing forth this word that changes not for the 21st century or for the teenage generation. It doesn't change for generation X and generation Y. These are the myths of the young today. The dreams as though they're some special group 
You see, you've got to be born again of the word that's incorruptible that doesn't change for the technological generation. You know, the churches are rich in technology, but they're being tricked by it, I warn you. Just like the churches in the 1950s in America were modernized to the place of let's have some entertainment, let's have the soloists and the this, that's and the others and let them take over and so on and so on and so on. And they did not know that the entertainment generation was going to deceive them. And the church was going to be deceived so that it was just a fun place for entertainment. The church is a place where the Lord has begotten to himself a people who are born of an incorruptible word that lives and abides forever. So though they live their lives walking through things where their own flesh, they recognize that all flesh is as grass. You know, some of you know that I'm a wee bit of a musician, though well out of, you know, and the young people, I get so bored with what I hear. You see, because, you know, they don't know. It's all going to pass away in 20 years' time. It'll all be another style. Rap will be gone, you know, and D's over B-flats and, you know, and D's overseas and all these kinds of things and the drone note on the guitar that carries on him. You know, it's all going to go. It's all flesh. It's like grass. You can see that the church is to, to be a place where there's an eternal love. There's an eternal word. There's an eternal life. Uh, there's an eternal life that where we're lifted. <laughs> Isn't it great? His own special family on the earth that proclaim. Mm -hmm. The lifting power of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once we were not a people, but now we're the people of God. And you, you just think of this. I, I find the Bible an amazing book because dear Peter, writing under the inspiration of the spirit speaking under the inspiration of the spirit writing under the inspiration of the spirit what is true prophetic word you know before he gets to all this about the lifting power you know at the end of chapter one he has to say we're born again and then we're coming to jesus we're coming to him we've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, to many people, that's just a theoretical word. You know, but have you tasted his juice? Now, I had a little bit of an orange just now before the meeting. And it's rather pithy. It's, um, my, my wife says, you know, it's a navel 
orange and normally they're a bit better but where it came from who knows you know but you know you taste don't you <laughs> you know you taste that the lord is gracious isn't it tremendous so you're born mm -hmm. and you begin to taste this graciousness of god and you know what getting a good taste does don't you you know it spoils you for the <laughs> am i right you taste the real thing like strawberries i don't know when i was a little boy uh, I had an auntie whose name was Auntie Jessie. And I don't think she was a real aunt. I don't know quite who she was. But dad and mum used to take us off in the motorbike and sidecar. It was a Harley Davidson, by the, by the way, for those of you who are interested. And uh, we'd chug off to this Auntie Jessie. And she had a plum tree in her garden. And I tell you, that plum tree, it was a Victoria plum. And it was, it must have been old. It must have been digged and dunged about for years. It must have been <laughs> looked after. And these plums were so tasty to a young boy. I couldn't eat enough of them when they were in season, of course. Now you go to these shops, you've tasted, you've tasted the, the rich, rich plums. And now you go to the shops and you've got these tasteless things that they sell in the supermarkets. You understand? You've tasted church. You're a people who are tasting. Now this all connects up with meetings. This all connects up with the gatherings of God's people. This all connects up with prophecy. This all connects up with the gifts of the Spirit. This all connects up with the various things that he wants to do in the church, doesn't it? Because it's a place where people are tasting and retasting. And, you know, it's tremendous. Um Connecting up for those of you who are on this morning, by the way, you know, when Jesus said to that lady, give me a drink. What a word is that, that he says, give me a drink. The poison of asps is under their tongues. But it wasn't under hers. If she drank of the water that Jesus wanted to give her, there would be a well of water springing up in her and there would be no poison on her tongue. Now you're connecting up to chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 1. You know, all the poisonous stuff's gone out of it. And one of the ways that you will taste that the Lord is gracious is listening to someone who has the well in their heart, springing up unto everlasting life. You'll taste the water coming out of their mouth. And, uh, you know, you'll taste their breath. You know, it's, it's experience, it's living, it's, it's human beings. It's like I mentioned to you a while back, 
a friend of ours named Dave, um, oh, his surname's gone out of my head, he's gone to be with the Lord, Dave Weatherly. And you couldn't be more than 10 minutes in his company and you felt like a king because there was just this rich wealth of truth and love and you could taste it coming out of the well of his heart and the well of his heart was coming out through his touch and his words. Am I making sense as I talk this way? Um, I think of a another man who, you know, we were just visiting in passing and in, in his house and he just said to me, young man, he said, it's lovely to have you in and come and see us with your wife. We didn't have any children then. And I'll show you around the house and come on. And then we went up near the mantel shelf in the main room. And he just it's just lovely to have you, Bernard, uh, just to visit us for this couple of hours. And he gave me a great big hug. And I tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is church. This is church. I, I tasted that the Lord is gracious. Unforgettable to me. Unforgettable. This older man loved me and was just glad to have my company. Amen. I tasted that the Lord is gracious. And you know, as you read through the scripture and you carry on down in chapter two here, you know, you taste the Lord and you choose him more and more, don't you? Verse four, chapter two, one Peter, you know, you choose coming to him. You come to him and you choose to come to him. Even though he was rejected of men, you choose to, oh, Lord Jesus, I want to drink of the water that comes out of your mouth. I want to, uh, I want to sense the pomegranates. I, I want to take time over this one, one of these sessions. You know, the Song of Solomon comes into its own. You know, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I mean, you know, what's that all about, eh? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. How does he kiss us? Words, you know, words through others. There's honey in his tongue. There's sweetness. This is how it all works. We're coming unto him as unto a living stone rejected indeed of men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. You know, I know it's very difficult to be church in this mechanistic age in which we live. You're supposed to have membership lists and uh, those that, and you can't take decisions unless you've got a quorum. And you, have, you know, those of us who've been involved with churches have to write to sort of all up the legal documents and get them approved that decisions have to be made by at least two thirds attendance in a church business 
business meeting, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, oh man, it's a spiritual house. We are a spiritual house, precious house, living stones being built up at a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, let this all be background as you think of church life. Mm. Don't talk about being in part of God's church unless you're prepared to keep coming to him, the living stone, and being living stones, tasting that the Lord is good. Unless you and I are ready to be a spiritual house that's, you know, me being someone who is offering up spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. Mm. You know, of course, you can appreciate that uh, I don't know how many hours I would have spent this week just thinking, just before the Lord, just waiting on him. But there's a lady next to me here who would have been offering up a spiritual sacrifice to allow me to do that who hasn't had my company and I haven't gone for a walk with her. We did one this week together, you know, but to offer up spiritual sacrifices, and to be up late at night, to be ready to take time with people, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. This has got to be in the bedrock of, of what's being built. You know, it's not a show. It's, it's not a show. You know, it's getting on the phone under the prompting of the Lord. You, someone comes to your heart. You, you do something. Um, spiritual sacrifices. You're a holy priesthood to offer up these sacrifices. Tremendous, isn't it? When you ponder these things and of course with all that in the background you you can expect that Paul is going to that Peter is going to say something like this in the fourth chapter he's inevitably going to get here verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter the end of all things is at hand Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another. Isn't that a lovely thing? Without grumbling, be hospitable. You know, what does that, that word hospitable connect up immediately in your mind with, you know, a hospital, doesn't it? And what happens in a hospital? Well, therapy, healing. You know, of course, we know that uh, 
psychology robs us of a, a real understanding of the way healing comes. Most people need healing in their spirit, in their deep inner man. That's where they've been wounded. Wounded by words, poisonous words. Wounded by false prophecy. Wounded wives, you know, wounding their husbands. Maybe I told you of this lady over there in, in Perth who ran a battered ladies, battered women's home where men had abused their wives. And we used to give money from our church to help her with that work. And I used to take money across and sit with her. And now she was a tough lady. And she said to me, one day, I don't know why they don't have homes for battered husbands here in Australia. And uh, I said, really? What are you talking about? And she said, oh, I don't mean physical battery. She said, I mean verbal. Women have a weapon. And it is terribly sharp to the wounding of the hearts of men. It's like parents to our children. We can say words that the kiddies will remember. You know how we need, you, you appreciate. And here's, here's the part of the remedy. I remember a long-haired fellow with earrings, only I don't ever remember that he was a long-haired fellow with earrings until years later. He came across to us from the Eastern States to West Australia and to, and you know, he met the Lord and walked with the Lord and became a, he's a chaplain now. And one day we were chatting many years later, by this time he was married. And uh, I said to him, well, remind me, his name's Pete. Remind me, Pete, about, you know, how did you come to be here? You know, in Perth and he said oh don't you remember and I said no I don't remember at all tell me <laughs> and he said well you took me into the house I turned up on the doorstep you took me into the house I had long hair and earrings and I joined the rest who were in the house and uh, and he said I I said well, what happened to you? And he didn't use these exact words, but it could have done. The healing began. It was the first time I saw a household running smoothly according to God's ways. Where I'd been raised, I'd never seen that. Healing in the house, you see. Healing in the house. Remember that I didn't even recall this. All he was was with us. And, um, you know, three months, six months, he lived with us. And then 
got his own place. I guess I don't know how it worked. I don't remember. But be hospitable one to another. Now, of course, we had rules. You've got to have rules in the house. You can't let people bring their sin in. You can't let them bring in their dirty language. Um, you've got to have rules that they must accept. But that's hospitable one to another without grumbling, as each one has received the gift. A gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whatever's he talking about? He's talking about life in the family. He's, he's talking about this generosity of spirit. He's talking about just giving yourself. Giving, it's not just, you know, as I've always liked John Piper's book title, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. You'd be amazed how those of us who've been through colleges and all the rest of it and done our seminars, they're busy teaching you to be a professional. And, uh, you know, to switch on the mode. <laughs> and instead of this wonderful thing of as you've received a gift, minister it to one another. You know that multiplication happens that way. You do know that. Give, and it shall be given to you. And then the Lord says through Peter, doesn't he? He's just flowing, and he says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, Whatever have you and I been given? A little minister, the little. A little word. You know what blocks, don't you? Blocks the flowing of the word. Lack of love will block the flow of the word. Love one another. That's why he says this. Love one another with fervent love. Because he has to say that in verse 8 before he talks about the gifts flowing. Because if you don't love, the gifts won't flow. If you're forever protecting your own patch, or I'm protecting my own patch, I have to give, I have to give. I have to give room. But it's easy, much easier to give if you love. That's why he comes as manifold stewards, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him do so as the oracles of God. Isn't that wonderful? I'm thinking in terms of gatherings, of meetings, but I'm thinking wider than that. If anyone speaks, you notice he doesn't say only men allowed. <laughs> of course he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, 
God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. One of the things that I realise, see, this is a little tiny snippet in Peter's writings about the church, about the spiritual nature of the church, about its life. And this bit is a little bit practical, loving one another, being hospitable, letting the gifts flow one to the other, according to the ability that God supplies. Amen. You know, and then where does it lead to? Glory and dominion forever and ever. You, You do know, first reason, why the glory and the dominion is going to come in the whole totality of history at the end of what we know as time. You you know why. First reason is, of course, the glory and the dominion is going to come forever and ever because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Is that right? It's going to come because... He put down all authority and all power, uh, and he did it. Wonder of wonders. Second reason that's going to corroborate, reinforce the, the fact that everything is going to come under his dominion and power is that it's already happening in the churches. Uh, Are you understanding what I'm saying? Through the hospitality, through the fervent love, through the flow of the manifold grace of God, through that, in the churches, in the churches, his dominion and his glory will come. So the aim of the ministry is not to sweeten up everybody. The aim of your gathering at Lustley this afternoon was that, and keep this in mind very clearly, is that every thought should brought under captivity to Jesus Christ in every mind and that the children are not to be forgotten. They are not to be forgotten. One of them just come to mark at such a moment there. They're not to be forgotten. Remember God's aim is not first to give them fresh young bodies and healthy bodies, but that their whole manhood and womanhood, childhood, life should be brought into the manifold grace of God that produces in them through Jesus Christ the glory and the dominion forever and ever. That's what the Lord is after in you. He's relentless in his love. He wants to bring every one of those vagrant thoughts of yours and mine under his sway that's the purpose of the gatherings it's not to give us fuzzy feelings you know it's it's this is the purpose of the gifts of the spirit so that if 
the prophetic utterance is working properly and the inspired, you say, what do you mean by prophetic utterance? If I just say it's inspired speech, speech inspired by the Spirit of God, coming in freshness and spontaneity, the purpose of it. This is why Paul says it in the 14th of Corinthians. He says that a person who's an unbeliever is brought into a place where their heart is pierced and they are convinced. And you can see it's um, it's a remarkable thing, this church. And if I can put it this way, we must also bear in mind quite clearly that, as I said earlier today, Jesus said to the woman at the well, give me to drink. Now you will have nothing to give to others. You will have nothing to give unless you're giving first to the Lord. Jesus said, give me to drink. Give me your heart. Give me your love. Give me your kisses. Give me your friendship. Give me your attention. Give it to me. Amen. And I think this is one of the reasons why some of us feel a degree of revulsion in Christian meetings where we keep getting directed by someone at the front that we must all clap now or do this or do that and do the other. You know, there, are, there is a place for exhortation and so on, but there is, there's much more. There must be those in any gathering. So I come back to the meeting in Lustley or the meeting in Heathfield that uh, we weren't at this morning, but can come to and uh, I come back first it's almost as though I hear the Lord Jesus say give me to drink Bernard and I can't do that in the meetings if I'm not doing it upstairs in my quiet place or downstairs in my quiet place if I'm not doing that as I'm taking my walk by the river or driving the car somewhere where I'm giving him something to drink you know you know what the something to drink is that he wants so do I need to say what the something is What does Jesus want to drink? He wants to drink the the sweetness of our love. Any married couple here, you know, especially in those earlier days where it was particularly fresh and new, your wife, your fiancé, your girlfriend, She wanted a drink of your presence, did she not? And you wanted to drink of her presence. So as you drew near to one another, you got awfully excited. And uh, because you wanted to drink of one another's loving presence. 
Oh, lady, dear lady, Jesus knew everything about her. He knew everything about her. He knew that she'd had the, he, he, you know, those of us who are slick and clever, we could say, he could read her like a book. <laughs> Have you heard that saying, some of you? Well, of course, he wasn't reading her. He just knew her. And he knew what she'd been through. And he knew the hopes she'd had that had been dashed and the loves that she had known that had dried up. And she knew it all. He knew it all, all about her. And yet he sat there waiting for her, waiting for her, waiting for her. And I believe the Lord is like that. You know, in in some of our meetings, I, 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 of course, I'm only sharing with you what what I've sensed for years and years in conferences and so on, where he's just waiting, you know, just waiting for us to give him a drink. You know, and uh, some of us might give him an official prayer. <laughs> some of us give him, give him nothing at all. You know, and uh, this has got to be underneath all the flow of, you know, I want to give you a drink, Lord, and I want to give my brothers and sisters a drink. You know, of what you've been giving to me, this spring of water that you've given in my heart. You know, I'm talking about an ideal here, aren't I? I'm talking about church like we've hardly ever seen it. You know, the, the church has become officialdom. You know, again, I was saying this afternoon to the other meeting, you know, that one of the issues that needs to change for the last 16 or 1700 years, the church has been locked in, the evangelical church has been locked into a pattern of thought, a doctrinal pattern of thought that has two parts, fall and redemption. Fall, evangelicalism has been trapped in this for years. Fall and redemption, man. But the Bible doesn't begin with the fall. There is a third component mm. that antedates fall and redemption. And it is that perfection of fruitfulness and, as I put it at lunchtime, juice, newness. That's everything was glorious and beautiful in its time. The fall came in afterwards with its spoiling. But don't lose sight. This is one of the reasons why all things work together for good. They can all work together for good. There's much to say about these, these matters. Augustine, Augustine, if you know him, of Carthage, 
you, you will know that he was completely uh, in that dualism, full redemption, full redemption. He didn't think in terms of the great goodness, um, the great goodness of God that is underneath it all, from which the redemption comes. The God who is, the God who remains. And it's that God who looked on the woman in the eyes of Christ and knew her and loved her and knew that provision had been made, that he was going to make provision so that she could come and drink his waters. Drink his waters. And that those waters would be in her a well springing up uh, into everlasting life, flowing out, flowing out. Tremendous things, aren't they, for us to reflect upon. Mm. And I I am, I know that I'm speaking ideals here. Uh, I I realise that. Ideals that are seldom seen. But if I take you to one last scripture for tonight, which is found in the Hebrews letter, um, which is the second chapter. And, you know, there's an oblique reference here, of course, to the church. Um, In the second chapter of Hebrews, and if if we read down a little bit, it says, therefore from verse 1 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest we drift away. You know, I can't let it go. These things that I'm privileged to share with you um, over these weeks that Mark has allowed me to bring and others have allowed me to bring, you know, I have not had the opportunity to do this, you know, in all the years of ministry. And I want to say this to you all. The last time I had opportunity to speak from 1 Corinthians and things about the church was... Uh, 35 years ago and it was when we moved to Perth and we began in our house meeting and people gathered until the place was packed and I just want to say to you that God the Spirit took these things to people's hearts and we saw it come to pass for four or five years we saw it come to pass which further corroborated what we'd already seen in Exeter these things can happen this generosity if I was to tell you just on the financial front oh a building of six million Never once had to ask for money. It all just flowed in. When we needed it. Money. 
just flowed. And that was just a symptom of a deeper thing where people just had a heart to give the manifold grace of God. And the meetings were rich and so much so that my, (laughs) you know, some people would complain. They came into the meeting visiting on a Sunday morning and my wife would talk to them afterwards and, you know, they were visitors. She'd always make a beeline for the visitors first. Uh, how did you enjoy the meeting? Well, how did you find the meeting? And they would say something like, well, it was rather strange to us. Where's the leader? Because they'd never been in a meeting that just flowed along without someone officiating at the front. Mm-hmm. But flow along they did. And you taste that the Lord is good. You taste it. And that's why, of course, here in the in the um, Hebrews 2, you know, he says the word, verse 2, spoken through angels proves steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, I'm sure you've never thought about meetings being part of salvation, but they are, they are, they are, they can be such a place. How many of you thank God for meetings that you remember that were life changing for you? Yeah, you, you remember where God spoke and your mind and heart was brought into submission and the Lord was glorified. Amen. Amen. Tremendous. And he says, you know, at first it began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, Mm. with various miracles and distributions of the Holy Spirit according to his will. You know, let the flow of that come home to you. This This is our lineage, brothers and sisters. This great salvation began to be spoken of by the Lord. It began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us. Am I in the line? I wonder what the Apostle Paul would think of me tonight. I wonder. I don't think he can hear. I think he's preoccupied with the Lord in glory, don't you? But um, you know, he knows he knows that we're down here, all right, because he knows that we haven't come up there yet. So he knows there's, there's some still down here. Mm. Oh, and uh, but this is our family, and you know, I wonder what he'd think of Bernard. Oh, Bernard's got a 21st century gospel. He's modified everything. If I if I was down there with him, I'd put him over my knee and give him a good spanking talking out of his own head or would he say no this is the 
this is this is he's saying it different because he you know but this is the truth you seek are you understanding it began to be spoken of by the lord then it was confirmed by those who heard him and god was bearing them witness now this will give you a clue why you haven't got many miracles in the united states and we haven't got many miracles in the united kingdom this will give you a clue because god can only confirm the word that was first spoken by his son and brought through by the apostles and if you modify it dilute it mess it around god can't bear witness with it period but where that word begins to be spoken in the same spirit which gives it god will confirm it into hearts i'm waiting for instance in lastly in the meetings mm-hmm. where a word will come with grace and power to the kiddies some of those young ones that are coming up to their teenage years mm-hmm. and they will walk out the front to uncle bernard or uncle mark and give their lives 100% to jesus that's what i'm waiting for where the lord will so confirm his word mm-hmm. into their hearts and those that some of us who are older in years have been round the traps for years you know in the churches we'll just throw our arms up in the air and say oh fill me with your spirit lord overflow me mm-hmm. Oh, no limitations on you, Lord. Just have your way in me. I give away all my, <laughs> my face. Face. You know, pride of face. You know, who I am. Well, I, you know, I'm the pastor's wife or uh, I'm, a, I'm this or that and the other. I'm the elder's wife or, well, I'm, you know, together. And you just let all that isn't it wonderful what god has for us and the lord will confirm his word and he'll do things in us different kinds of miracles and distributions of the holy ghost that's the word there distributions unusual word if my rec- mind brings it to back to mind that it's about the only time you find it that particular word distributions of the spirit imagine a distribution of the spirit in lustly a distribution of the spirit in wherever it is you are lublin or puave you know hallelujah hallelujah a distribution of the spirit that god does and and everyone is so you walk into the meeting have you ever been in meetings at least one man here on these meetings and he will remember walking into a, into meetings in the upper room in in the chapel in exeter and everybody the whole floor big area was covered with people laying before god just laying before god such was its power and such was that's where we all
five, let's saying what is man of him the son of man that take care of him you've made him a little lower than the angels you've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands you've put all things in subjection under his feet what a destiny for man do you know bbc's got a big article up i'm sure you will be excited to read this i think you will be thrilled at the wisdom and the sense of this article that's up on on the web at the moment bbc are telling us that they have discovered that the scientists have discovered why mankind is the dominant species uh, and has risen to the lofty height of being the dominant species on the earth. And read on the article, it's and discovered fire. Isn't that wonderful? That's why we're more dominant than gorillas. That's why we're more dominant than chimpanzees. Now, aren't you thrilled about that? That uh, our forebears discovered fire. Now you realise I'm being thoroughly facetious. You, you understand. God made us to be kings and priests. Unto our God. He put all things under his feet all things in subjection. Verse 8, in the middle of the verse, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him, and that's something we can say amen to. (laughs) You know, now we can't see anything but... But we we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned. At last, there's a man in the glory. There's a man who had all things subject under his feet. And then... There's Jesus. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honour that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You know, in the context of all this, you know, I realise of defeat, guilt, failure, you know, that's that's what people can smell. But we see Jesus crowned. It was fitting for him. Verse 10. For whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect 
through sufferings. Mm. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Oh, can you hear in your meetings Jesus calling you brother? Can your sisters hear you? Jesus saying to you, we've come out of the same womb. You're my brother. I'm the firstborn. Though I was not born like you, you're born in me. But we are of the same spirit, the same spirit. We've been fathered by the Father. Can you hear this? Can you hear this in the meetings, in the content of the ministry, in the content of the songs, the hymns, you know, He's out front saying, oh, all of one, all of one. We, we came down out of heaven. You know, you say, well, am I right in saying that the New Jerusalem, which is a picture of the church, where does it come from? According to the book of the Revelation, where did Jesus come from? Came from heaven, didn't he? He came from heaven. Where's the church come from? Where have I come from? Where's this life that I've got bubbling up in me come from? Where's that life that wants to bubble up in you more and more? Where's it come from? You know that well of springing water? Where? I mean, did you did you earn did you? Of course. And uh, you know, it's kind of sounds there. Jesus is telling us, my brother, my brother. My my own sister, my young, you know, I could go back into the book of the Song of Solomon for this, you know. My sister, spouse. Do you remember that? There's a verse, chapter four. My sister, spouse. That's right. Same father. Same father. My sister, spouse. My spouse is my sister. Same life. Forbidden in the natural. And he explains himself, saying, verse 13, <clears throat> is it? I can't see. Good morning, would you mind putting the light on? <laughs> uh, verse 12 it is, saying, 
I will declare your name to my brethren. <laughs> that exciting for meetings? I will declare your whose name? Mm -hmm. You know, I will declare your father. So you've got Jesus saying to you, brother and sister. I'm saying in the midst, in the midst of the assembly, I will declare your name, Father. I'll declare your name, Father, to them. I'll, I'll tell them all about you, Father. In the midst of the assembly, I'll do this. This is, this is it. This is it. I'll, I'll tell them all about you, Father. I'll tell them about your faithfulness. Isn't that what Jesus was doing all the time when he was on the earth among his brothers, those disciples who weren't yet his brothers as he wanted them to be? And he was telling them all about the Father and they scratched their heads. But I, I will declare your name. You know, uh, I think it was David Wilkerson who wrote a book all about <clears throat> the names of God. Others have done it as well. But he got very excited. I think I looked at the first chapter or two years ago and I could sense that the man was profoundly excited, mm -hmm. you know, because he, the Lord had been opening his eyes to all these Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our righteousness, the, the, the Lord, you know, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals you. And he was beginning to be, Jesus was revealing to David Wilkerson the name of the Father. See, this is what meetings are all about supposed to be biblically and <clears throat> i'll sing praise to you jesus says i'll sing praise to you father in the midst of the assembly i guess now we know who the leader of the church is you know who's the song leader <laughs> you, you know the biblical song leader you know i guess we got it haven't we i needn't say any more <laughs> You know, all we have got to do is read our Bible and, you know, and if the song leader, I tell you, if there's a physical song leader in the church and, you know, who physically has got the notes and starts to sing and he's full of Jesus, it's Jesus doing the singing, really. It's Jesus. It's, uh, uh, it's Jesus. It's not that there's no one who can't sing and, you know, that if you do get a wrong note, stop and start again and try and find the right one. Don't be embarrassed, you know. But it's, it's Jesus, you see. And oh, haven't you been there? You know, I've had a song going around in my head for weeks. You know, some of you might know it. Jesus was slain for me. At Calvary, you know, and it's these songs, you know, Jesus singing in the midst of the church. Yes, yes, yes. And then it goes on, doesn't he? And again, verse 13, I will put my trust in him. I tell you, you hear Jesus saying that. 
you know, uh, oh, my sisters and my brothers, I trusted him, I trust my father. And look, did he raise me from the dead? Did he set me up on high? <laughs> yes, yes. And Jesus preaching to us through his through his apostles, through his prophets, through through a, a prayer, through whatever's happening in the meeting. This is what it should be like. You know, Jesus speaking through his body. And again, end of verse 13, saying to his father, here I am, and the children whom God has given me. Look at all the children. Look at them, all the children God has given me. Maybe <clears throat> a little bit like old Jacob when he crossed over the brook, you know, and... He said uh, all about, uh, and he met that brother of his, and he said, look at all these children. God has given me these. Well, it's time for me to stop. Amen. Amen. And uh, I, I, I promise you that we will get to 1 Corinthians 14, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm just wanting to lay background. I'm just wanting to paint the picture. I'm just wanting to exercise and stir your imaginations. I, you know, your longings, your desires. I believe God wants to inflame us in our imaginations and in our thinking and say, oh, Lord, be it unto us according to your word. Be it unto us in Poland. Oh, brothers and sisters, some of you from Poland there that are on tonight. And mm. I can remember gatherings like this in Tiafilov and scattered places round in, in the days of uh, martial law and communism. And I can remember it so fresh. And, you know, so fresh in other countries as well, where the Lord was in the midst, and we all knew it, leading the meeting, giving his word, testifying to his father, and quickening the praises, so that he was singing to his father through us by the Spirit, and we were joining the chorus. Wonderful, wonderful. It's unforgettable. You taste that the Lord is good. You taste it. Oh, Father, do it again. Lord, you know, in, in the United Kingdom, in Canada, in the United States, in Poland, in wherever else people are from that are on tonight. Do it again, Lord, here in Exeter, we pray. Gather your your wearied ones, Lord, freshen us all, freshen us all. Do it in meeting, let there be a flow developing in hearts as we let go to you. 
in Exeter, in Heathfield, in Rora House, in, in these places, oh Father, and further afield and up and down and gather your people together. We think of Nate, Lord, who spoke to me a few weeks ago about that he'd tasted this a little bit in one or two meetings he'd been in, that he'd visited. Bless him, yes, Nate, yes. And, and all of us, Lord, we pray. Yes. Wonderful, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for opening up the magnificent way. We would show forth your lifting power, Lord. Oh, let your church not just be a sort of Christianized replica of the world. May she show forth your lifting power in this darkening age. In Jesus' name, Father, Amen. we pray. Amen. Yes, hallelujah. Amen, Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Amen. Amen.